morning. Everyone say, Pharaoh. Didn't that feel kind of strange? Well, we're, today we're in Exodus chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, feel free to start on that journey, finding that second book of the Bible. Well, we're not having a picnic today, but we're having it next week if the weather cooperates. And so, uh, my experience, whenever something, the weather ruins an event and it gets postponed, it actually helps, it helps you have a larger crowd because it brings more attention to it and gives you more time to prepare for it. So, come next week and we're going to have an old-fashioned picnic. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. You give us some context before we read the first 10 verses. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we talked about that God's people had become slaves. And um, where had they become slaves? In Egypt. That's right. And uh, we see at the end of chapter 1, the Pharaoh, verse 22, it says, The Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. What kind of leader says that? A terrible leader, an evil leader. Pharaoh was an evil guy. We believe that this Pharaoh that gave that command is Tutmosis I. Basically, he is King Tut that we all know, great-great-great-grandfather. And the King Tut and his, King Tut was evil, and most, almost every single pharaoh that we know about was a very evil, wicked person. Do not be discouraged because God is at work. So, here we go, Exodus chapter 2, let's stand and reading of God's word. We're going to read the verse, first ten verses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for a basket, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with vitamin and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him? Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's, da said, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. You may be seated. You guys believe this is God's word? Okay. Well, if you do, then receive God's word in, through faith. I'll introduce this sermon like this. The Israelites' cry for help was met by the preparation of a prophet. 
The Israelites' cry for help was met by the preparation of a prophet. Lord, we hate being slaves. God, we're tired. Lord, we're your people. Why are we? My life doesn't make sense. Have you ever been there before? God, what are you doing? God, why am I in these circumstances? And all the while, God heard their prayer. If the Israelites would have remembered the word of the Lord, they would remember that in Genesis 15, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So in these years, God was preparing his people. God was also waiting in mercy and giving the wicked nations of Canaan time to repent. Why? Because God cared about them too. Genesis 15, 16 says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, what does God do? Well, he uses three ladies here in the first part of chapter 2, and let's look at those. Let's think about each of these. First, God uses the prudence of a mom. You notice that the woman conceived and she bore a son and she hid him for three months. And then when she could hide him no longer, she took him, she made a basket, she made certain that it, float, it, it would float, and then she put it in the river, the Nile River. Do you guys know what is in the Nile River? Crocodiles and hippopotamus. And a lot of other scary things. Pharaoh had given a command to throw the Hebrew boys into the river. So this mom, her name was Jochebed, beautiful name for a lady, Jochebed. Jochebed put her son in the place that was the most dangerous place of all. But it seems that Jochebed knew exactly what she was doing. Now, we don't know this for certain, but it seems to be, depending on your opinion of God's Word and as the Spirit interprets it for you, when I read this, it seems that Jochebed knew exactly what she was doing. She would have known what time the princess came to bathe. She would have seen the secret service agents bringing the princess to the river and her servants. She would have known she would also have known that the princess had no children. Jochebed and her husband loved the Lord. And I believe that they understood that the only person that had any kind of power that could rescue Moses was the princess. She's the only one that could do anything about it. What did Jochebed, what do you think she thought about? What was her prayer as she placed her baby three months old, in the river. Taking a wild guess here, but I, I would imagine she was praying, God, would you help this baby make it to the princess? God, would you help her put it in her heart to take this child in? Because the Bible says that this baby Moses was beautiful. There was something extra special about this child. And Jochebed and her husband, they knew it. 
And then ultimately, the princess would obviously be aware that something special, there was something special about this baby. So we see the prudence of a mom. Next we see that God uses the prying of a sister. Who has a prying sister? Anyone? Thank God, right? There were times in my life growing up that my sister would say stuff to me that I did not want to hear, but she's the, she was the one that would be the most honest, and often it was something like this, you do not need to date that girl, you know, those kind of things. What are you doing with your life? Well, God uses the prying of a sister. Miriam, we, we know that her name is Miriam. God would use her great, greatly the next few years leading God's people, but she was a curious and caring sister. Perhaps Miriam heard her mom praying out loud, praying to God that he would show mercy and let the princess find the baby. But it was Miriam that followed along the, the bank of the Nile River, watching the baby float. And then it was Miriam that looked with curiosity to see if the princess would take in the baby. You know, if it were not for Miriam, then Moses could have lost contact with his family forever. God used Miriam in a great way. Moses maintained his knowledge that that he was an Israelite, of his true identity. How did that happen? Well, we know that his mom was brought in to nurse him, and perhaps she stayed for a season, and after he was weaned, she went back home. But there's a possibility that Jochebed, many scholars believe, that she stayed on as a servant there in the palace and helped raise Moses. Now, we don't know that for 100% certain, but it's interesting to think about. Someone taught Moses about creation. Someone taught Moses about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Someone taught Moses about Joseph. Moses knew exactly who he belonged to. He knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Next we see that God uses the perplexity of a princess to raise up God's prophet. Her name, listen to this, Hatshepsut. Say that three times fast, be careful. Hatshepsut, she was a princess and she noticed that there was something special about this baby. Moses' parents had faith, but they could not have made the baby extra beautiful. Only God can do that. God was at work. Lord, deliver us. God was at work. God was at work in these circumstances. The princess saw Moses, saw he was beautiful, something was special, something was different. She took him in, and she adopted him. She named him Moses, or in Hebrew, Moses. And she, this meant that she drew him out of the water, the Hebrew term. But the Egyptian term for, for Moses was a son. It's interesting that in Hosea chapter 11, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So Moses was born a slave and adopted into royalty. Can anyone identify with that? Born a slave, born into shackles, born into bondage, 
but adopted into royalty? Let's continue in chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. Now keep in mind, it had been 40 years, 40 years from the time of birth of Moses all the way to age 40. There's only one verse in the Bible that gives us any kind of context, any kind of insight into Moses' life from the time he was born until uh, age 40, and I'll read that in a second. It says, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Let's pause right there. We see that God uses a godly home to raise up this prophet. A godly home. Hebrews 11.23 says, this is Hebrews now, this is the New Testament. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. The faith of Moses' parents and their fear of the Lord laid the foundation for Israel's rescue. Moses' parents feared God more than the most powerful ruler on the earth at the time. We see that Moses had a special education. Moses had a special education. Even today, scholars marvel at the learning of the the, uh, Egyptians. Now, why do we know so much today about the Egyptians? They wrote everything down. What else? How were they preserved? How about students in the the pyramids, right? They built these massive pyramids, and they preserved things. And we know a lot about the Egyptians. Let's think about Moses real quick. So from birth until the age 40, we, we do not have a lot of insight. Moses was bald. Moses was bald. And he was clean-shaven. As he was a teenager and a man, you don't think about Moses that way, do we? He looked like more like Mr. Clean. Moses had been trained. He had the best education, went to the greatest college. He probably had the best tutors in the land. He would have had the greatest education on the earth. Not only that, was he, he was trained in Egyptian warfare. He was being prepared to be a general, to, to lead armies. He was trained physically how to take out the enemy. In other words, Moses was a bad man. Moses was like an Egyptian Jackie Chan. And we see that come to fruition here whenever Moses kills the Egyptian 
Josephus, the most famous Jewish historian, writes that Moses was the commanding general of Pharaoh's army. Think about that. He was the commanding general. He was the the four-star general. He was the top guy. He had more brass than any other. Moses was in line to possibly be Pharaoh himself. And what what took place in verse 11 is that Moses had made a deliberate decision. Moses had decided that he was going to follow the Lord. Here's the verse I wanted to share. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. It says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Do you get a picture of who Moses was? He wasn't just some scrawny Hebrew kid. He was the prince of Egypt. And at age 40, he had gained knowledge and power. And it appears that in verse 11, Moses already had his bags packed, and he was already determined to go with God's people He decided to leave the smooth tiles of the palace to go to the dirt streets where his people were. He decided to leave the filet mignon and to go after the vaina sausages. He decided that all of the world's pleasure and the things that the world can offer were nothing in comparison to following the Lord. And so what took place is that Moses leaves the palace. He goes to visit his people. He sees a taskmaster beating a Hebrew. And Moses steps in, and he does what ninjas do. He handles business. And most often when you hear this text being preached, you hear that Moses was a murderer. Moses was a low-down, dirty scoundrel who strayed far from God. But The Bible does not say that. Now, obviously, yes, he probably should not have killed a man. That is sin. But you could make an argument that this was self-defense, that he was stepping in and doing what was right. I'll leave that up to you to interpret. But the point is, is that the second that Moses looked to the right and then he looked to the left, he made a deliberate decision. He decided, I'm not going back. I'm going with God's people. Have you decided that this morning? Have you decided once and for all to go with the Lord? Acts chapter 7, verse 23 says that when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now listen to this. This is from Acts chapter 7, verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand. Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation. 
by his hand, but they did not understand. That's the New Testament. But they did not understand. So perhaps it was the Hebrew people that were in the wrong in this moment. Moses said, all right, guys, let's go. I'm ready. Hell or high water, I'm going with the Lord. Let's march out of here. We're going to the promised land. But the, the Hebrews, they made fun of him. They didn't respect him. They thought, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us too? And it was a foreshadow of the grumbling that Moses would hear over the next few years. It's fascinating. So we see Moses had a special education. And next, can we get the next slide up there, please? Next, we see that there's a season of growth that happens. Season of growth. So it makes sense that age 40, here's Moses. It's, it's a great time for God to do his thing. Now, we like to tell God what to do, don't we? We have in our mind what God should do, when God should do it. But the Lord obviously wanted to take Moses far out into the middle of nowhere and teach him some things. So for 40 more years, Moses would go out, learn how to be a shepherd. And it was during this season of growth that God prepared him to lead God's people. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses knew that he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision to go either with Satan and his cronies or to go with the living God. One of my most favorite preachers ever, Dr. Vance Havner, he says this, Moses saw the invisible, he chose the imperishable, and he did the impossible. So God's timing is different than our timing. Moses may have been guilty, he may not have been guilty, but regardless, he was a runaway fugitive. God is going to use a runaway fugitive to rescue his people. Some people are here this morning thinking, God can't use me. Some of you probably should be in jail right now, but you're not because of God's mercy. Right? Anybody identify with that? No? Okay. Got to, everyone's righteous here. I don't know about you, but I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Warren Wiersbe says, Whenever God works, he chooses the right worker. He uses the right plan and acts at the right time. Moses was taking care of a few sheep. Soon he would be shepherding a whole nation. So let's finish reading verse 16. Now, verse 15 says that Moses, he sat down by a well. You know what happens to Israelite men when they sit down by a well? They find a wife. 
Isaac found his wife through the servant by the well. Jacob found Rachel near the well. And Moses would hit up the well dating service and he would find a wife. Proverbs 18 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen to that. You know, I wonder about Jochebed. She was still back in Egypt praying for her Moses, praying that he would come along, a godly woman that would straighten him out. God could have delivered Israel when Moses was young and powerful. An intimidating leader. Didn't that make sense for God to lead them right then? I mean, he's age 40. Past 40, he's only going downhill, right? Just kidding. That wasn't as funny as I'd hoped. <clears throat> but God waited for Moses to become older, wiser, and less impressive physically. Why? So that God would get the glory over Pharaoh. Exodus 14 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And there was Moses taking care of sheep. Let's see his, his brief romance. Check it out. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Now when you're a bachelor and you find out that a guy has seven daughters, that's a good place to be. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. See there? You see the Egyptian Jackie Chan characteristics coming out again? Moses took on multiple shepherds. Shepherds have staffs, guys. Those are big sticks. Moses didn't care. He was trained. He knew how to take, care of, take people out. And Moses, the Bible says that he drove them away. He saved them. He, and not only that, but Moses watered their flock. He says, ladies, I got this. Let me take, let me take care of the flock. It says, when they came home to their father, Ruel, also named Jethro, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him. Basically, Jethro says, Ladies, you didn't get his number? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses named his son Gershom. Why? Because Moses understood that this was not his home, that God had a plan, that God, that God had a plan for his people. And deep down in Moses' heart, he felt as though he was supposed to lead out the Egyptian, the Hebrews out of Egypt. God, where, where are you? What are you doing? Are you going to do anything about our circumstances? All the while, God was at work. God trained Moses. Moses learned how to be steadfast and, and how to be faithful.
we can go ahead and go through those slides. So here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. God would use Moses as an 80-year-old man to lead out the Egyptians. Moses could not talk. We'll see that next week. It's exciting what's about to go down and how it unfolds. But God would choose Moses not because of what Moses brought to the table, but because Moses was humble and dependent on the Lord. Because what God wanted to do was so much bigger than Moses. It was so much greater than Moses' education. It was so much greater than Moses' skill set. Moses could not part the sea. Only God can do that. Moses, although he was a ninja, he could not take on 200,000 soldiers. It would take God intervening. God chose David for the same reason, to take out Goliath. God didn't choose David because he was an all-star state champion, slingshot champion. He chose David because when Goliath's body hit the ground, every soldier in the valley would know that God is alive. David said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike, down, strike you down. He says, I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day, all the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver, listen to this church, by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The Lord raised up Moses because Moses understood after the next 40 years, that it was not by his might or his strength or his wit or his good looks, but it's by the hand of the Lord that Israel, Israel would be set free. Let's finish this chapter. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That phrase at the very end is very special. And God knew. God understands what no one else does. God knows. He knows the good and the bad. He knows what we look at on television, what we look at on our computers, our phones, and yet he loves us. He knows the injustices that may happen at work or at home, and he knows and he cares. And though our circumstances, you may be in a season of life that you're like, my circumstances are great. You may be in a season of life that says, my, my world's falling apart. Regardless, God is faithful. God is at work. Fruit is grown in the valley. And it took Moses going to the valley to learn how to lead, to learn how to be a faithful servant, to learn that on the days when no one's looking, the sheep still need to be fed and taken care of. I want to close with this illustration. 
about 11 years ago, I was a summer missionary in the Philippines. I know most of you don't care, but I want to share this illustration. And uh, they trained us. They taught us what we we're supposed to do. Now, I hadn't lost anything over there. I really didn't even care to go, but God led me to go. And uh, once I got into it, I got excited about it. And I had to ride four airplanes and ride a few ships and finally get to this island called Sikihor. 90,000 people, 98% did not know Jesus. And we got there and began to go house to house sharing the gospel. And it was incredible. About the third day, my stomach became upset. I began to feel kind of strange. And I had an amoeba, a parasite. I don't know how it happened, but I had to go to the hospital. And I go to the hospital, and these little Filipino nurses began speaking all this stuff, and they put an IV in me, and I was a little nervous, and I had to go sit in this hospital room, and it was 110 degrees in this room, it was nasty, filthy, there were wild cats running up and down the hallway, maybe they weren't wild, but they acted like they were wild. And there were large gecko lizards in my room, about this long. And uh, I was miserable. And the pain, I can't describe it. It was like something was just shredding my insides. And the doctor didn't give me a strong enough antibiotic, and I began to get worse and worse. And I couldn't sleep. I, you, have you been in that kind of pain where you can't sleep at all? You can't eat? You can't sleep? That's where I was. And I thought, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. Why am I here? God, I'm supposed to be out there doing your work, and I'm sitting in a hospital bed, totally useless. And I, I, I just want to share this. I felt as though the Lord spoke from my insides. I love you. I love you. I love you. And after a few hours of that, I thought, well, that's great. I'm, God, thank you. I'm so proud. I'm so thankful that you love me. But Lord, I need some pain relief. I love you. I love you. I love you. Lord, if you love me, seems like you would help me out a little bit here. I love you. I love you. Day goes past. Little nurse comes in. Uh, sir, we run out. We have no more pain medicine. Oh, great. Thanks. I finally fall asleep, and I would wake up, and there'd be 10 to 12 Filipinos standing in my doorway just staring at the white guy in the bed. No privacy whatsoever. It's humiliating. I love you. I love you. Next day goes, another day goes past. It began to get worse and worse. I love you. I love you. It was so bad, they had to take me on a, a basically a, a boat that was an ambulance, and ride me across the ocean to another island to try to save me. I was on the front page of the website, IMB, Mississippi Summer Missionary Near Death. Please pray. Lord, I didn't sign up for this. I love you. I love you. And about the fourth day, I felt... I was praying, I was arguing with the Lord. God, if you really love me, you can help me out. And this has never happened since. Maybe the only time this will ever happen to me, but I felt God speak to me in a real, very real, close way. I felt like God put his hand on my mouth and said, Son, do you know how much that I love you? 
I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. And the little lady down the street selling pancakes, I love her with the same amount of love. And the man high in the mountain that's never heard about Jesus, about my son, I love him the same as I love you. And all the people back in the States, young and old and all in between, I love them the same as I love you. And all the people in all the nations, I love them the same amount that I love you. And I'm laying there and I thought, either the devil is talking to me or God is. And uh, this doesn't line up with the devil's theology, so I think it's the Lord. God had to break me down. And slowly I began to get better after that day, after that moment. Didn't have a whole lot of pain relief, but I felt it, a little bit of relief. And then I was in the hospital nine days, and I got out, and I was fine. But the point is, is that that was in my life, God had to break me down. That was my call to ministry. I felt like the Lord told me, I want you to share the gospel. I want you to surrender all the way. No looking back. Jesus, take the will, all that. And so that was for me. But this morning, God's here. He is in the house. He's here. And he wishes to do things in our lives. And sometimes when we're in horrible circumstances, we think God has forgotten. He has not. The word of the Lord says, and he knew. And he knows today what you're going through. And he cares. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. That's, that's a verse. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. So what about you? Where do you stand today? The Lord's here, and he wants to work. So we're going to have a time of response, a time of invitation. You don't have to come down here necessarily, walk down front. You can deal with the Lord right there in your seat. He's there too. He's everywhere. If you need to walk outside and go home early and go sit on your front porch and spend time with the Lord and confess and repent and think about this scripture, maybe you need to do that. We won't think any less of you if you walk out early. God wants to work in our lives. And sometimes it takes him pruning us putting us through trials to get our attention. Because if everything was rosy, most of us could care less about the Lord and his kingdom and what he's doing on this earth. So maybe our trial is a great blessing for him to show his faithfulness in your life. Let's pray.